Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Got the role. Oh. And the two of them almost looked alike at right. the time. Right. And I'm much taller yes. than Charles, and the costumes would have had to be remade right. for me. And, Classic. And also, I just wasn't any good. Well, so. <laughs> we beg to differ. Yeah. We beg to differ. Um, John, we're going to start right at the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in a town called Hazelhurst, Mississippi. Mississippi. Hazelhurst, Mississippi. In Hazelhurst, Mississippi, wow. which was made more famous in the early 80s by a writer named Beth Henley. Mm-hmm. Yes, Who wrote a of play course. called Crimes of the Heart yeah. that won the Pulitzer Prize. And it's set in Hazelhurst. Okay. The, the play is set in Hazelhurst. The movie is set in Hazelhurst. They did not film the movie in Hazelhurst. But this play seemed to come out of thin air, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I think it had actually been somewhere else before it landed on Broadway and won the Pulitzer Prize. Mm-hmm. To everyone from Hazelhurst, it seemed to come out of thin air. <laughs> and, uh, and so there it was on Broadway. And a lot of people from Hazelhurst came up to see it. Oh, really? And, you know, the play is about race and uh, sexual relations mm-hmm. among the races. And a lot of people there... Well, and they, I think a lot of people in Mississippi still have the capability of saying, I didn't really see that. Yeah. That didn't really happen. Yeah. You yeah. know, wouldn't Beth's play cute? It was on Broadway. <laughs> but ignoring what it was the about. The of it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that sort of gives you a nice overview of the community in which you, in which you grew up. Uh, what did, not just the community, but the whole state. The whole right. state. Uh, what did mom and dad do for a profession? Well, at first, my mother, because she was raising three kids, was just a housewife. Of course. I, I guess it's okay to say just a housewife, well, but she was a housewife. Yeah. Yes. And my father was a rural mail carrier, so he worked for the post office. Wow. Oh, wow. And it was rural, I mean, the area that, you, I mean, obviously, if he was a rural mail carrier, I, I've never been to this town in Mississippi. I've only seen Crimes in the Heart, but... Have you been to any town in Mississippi? Oh, yeah, I've been to... <laughs> Have you really? Oh, yeah. Oh, sure, yeah. Oh, my. A little bit, yeah. But it was always like the birthplace of Elvis, I think, was one. Isn't that Tupelo? Tupelo. Tupelo. So was it rural? I mean, was it it like you were saying the themes of Crimes of the Heart? I mean, was that, did that, you know? The neighborhood that I grew up in in Hazelhurst was not really rural, Mm -hmm. but you didn't have to go very far to get to a rural area. Yeah. 
We lived within the city limits. Gotcha. It was a real neighborhood, you know, mm-hmm. with house after house after house, right. with a yard. Right, right, right. What were the first uh, genres of art that first uh, came into your consciousness? Were you a voracious reader? Were you an avid film goer, a television junkie? What? How did you first get exposed to the arts and entertainment music? Well, all of the all of the above, yeah. really. Um, we did have a television in the house, and my father liked to go to the movies. I was actually taken to see Psycho when I was what five or six. Whoa, 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 what? <laughs> well, my father wanted to see it, and uh, if it meant taking the whole family. <laughs> And everybody he went. Was, he was determined to go. Okay. Was it a, a traumatizing experience? Well, fortunately, <laughs> I fell asleep. Okay. Oh, good. Before uh, Janet Lee was murdered. Oh. <laughs> <clears throat> um, my my older sisters, I don't think they did fall asleep. Oh, and so it may have been traumatizing for them. I I understand. I understand. What were some of your favorite television shows growing up? Well, the earliest show I remember is I Love Lucy. Of course. And then, well, I remember the Dinah Shore show also, which was a music variety show. Not the chat show from the 70s, but the show from the 50s. And then, uh, Bewitched, which was later, you know, 63. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember the Bewitched and the Munsters and the Adams family all started up the same year. Right. Yes. Yeah. Was it was a I do know that. Yes, of course you do. And then who were your favorite movie stars growing up? Oh gosh. Well, for the, the movie stars who were young in their early 60s, I was crazy about Natalie Wood and Anne mm-hmm. Margaret. Anne Margaret. Oh my god. And uh, I knew who Judy Garland was, and we were talking about <clears throat> 1963 on television was also the year that Garland was on yes. television, right? Yes. 63, just... 64. Mm-hmm. And Bonanza was on the rival channel, NBC, I guess. Mm-hmm. And Judy was on CBS. And Bonanza had been on for a couple of years, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And it was a big hit, and then they foolishly put Garland opposite it, thinking she could compete. And that's one of the reasons her show failed. So we have, we have Judy Garland, we have Anne Margaret. When did you first get introduced to Dolores Gray? Not until I moved to New York. Okay, oh, okay. so we'll get there. We will, we get, will get there. there. Um, what was uh, school like for you? You, you, were, you were a pianist, right? Well... I was and I am. You are. Uh, still when are. did you learn? <laughs> still when did you learn to go, play the piano? Stop. How old were you? Um, well, when I first started taking lessons, I probably was ten, mm-hmm. fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yep. my older sisters were studying piano before I was, mm-hmm. and so I would watch them mm-hmm. and listen to them. And the way I remember it is that one day I just sat down and could do some of it. Oh, yeah. Almost, almost like a prodigy. Yeah. 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 
So you had, you had observed them, yeah. and then you just sat at the piano, and off you went without having had a lesson. Yes. That is a prodigy. Mm-hmm. My God. And then my mother was observant enough and smart enough to think, well, he needs to take lessons. Right. And so in the fourth grade, the uh, grammar school music teacher in Hazelhurst decided that she was going to give group lessons to a select few. Oh. And she had a couple of pianos in her classroom, Mm -hmm. but she needed more than that for group lessons, and so Mm -hmm. she got these electric pianos that we had had never seen before. Yeah. Didn't know such a thing existed. Yeah. And I did that, and I suppose I was advancing pretty quickly, and so then the next year... I started taking private lessons with the difficult, air quotes again, the, diff, the, diff, the more difficult teacher in town. I feel like mo- every town has like that mean teacher, <laughs> yes. air quotes again, but like I, I play piano as well, and I remember growing up, I had the nice teacher, but I was very afraid of the, 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 the difficult teacher. Yeah. And where was college for you? College was not far away mm. in Jackson, Mississippi, okay. which is only 30 miles north. Great. Okay. A school that is now called Bellhaven University, uh-huh. but when I was there, it was Bellhaven College, uh-huh. and they have a big theatrical uh, curriculum there now. But it's still a very conservative school. In fact, I would imagine it's more conservative than it was when I was there in the seventies. I would probably assume yeah. so. Yeah, and and uh, it is a Presbyterian school. Mm-hmm. I should tell you. Okay. What was your and major when you were there? Music. It was music. So yeah. you, stu- you continued your study. You must, I mean, <laughs> I don't mean to sound ignorant, but you must have been quite the player. I mean, you must have been, I you guess know, I all was. the classics. I, I mean, Chopin, not as good. Like, you know, like the hard stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the technical I, stuff. I'm not as good now as I was then, I think. I well, lost it along the way. It's a muscle, but yeah. yeah. But you, were, you, you had a, like a private teacher, and you really, you, you attacked all of those those hard composers, Tchaikovsky, Prokofiev, maybe? Oh, my teacher wouldn't have allowed Prokofiev, no. I didn't get that until I got to college. Mm. Yeah, in college, okay. So in college you got to. This is my favorite piano Unfortunately, my piano teacher did not encourage me to experiment. She just wanted me to play what she put in front of me. Mm. Uh Uh-huh. So I wasn't encouraged to do any of that until I got to college, and by then it was almost too late. You know? Okay, but almost. But you still were able to. Well, I still can't transpose, yeah. you know, at the drop of a hat. So. Yeah. yeah. Who were some of the composers that you enjoyed playing? I'm just, if, you mean if classical you, composers? Yeah, mm-hmm. or, or any composer. We'll start with a classical one, but then if there's a wild card in there, throw that in. Well, when I got to college, uh, I told my teacher, I said, well, because he was having me play Chopin preludes, and I said, you know, I I really want to play something else. And he said, I know, you want to play a shit beater. That's what he called it. (laughs) What? (laughs) And so he suggested that I get um, a piano piece called Allegro Barbaro by Bartok. Oh, oh, okay. and it didn't. You know, you really yes, you got to yeah. dig into the piano. Mm-hmm. But that's what I wanted to do. I think I had a lot of anger yeah. <laughs> for yeah. one thing, yeah. and so I, I was fascinated by that. Yeah, 
and 20th century serious music mm -hmm. started to interest me more yeah. than Haydn. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Such sure. as like Bartok, Bartok is one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't know Mahler at the time, mm. but that's often what I'm drawn to now. Yeah. I'm just at home listening. When did you start to compose? Did you get a chance to compose music for yourself in college? In college, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They, they encouraged us a bit to did, do that. Did you enjoy that? I did. They didn't encourage us, however, to write anything in the music theater idiom, which is too bad. Um, so then how, did, how was musical theater introduced into your life, or how did you discover a, perhaps a passion for it? Well, the earliest I remember was we had a vinyl LP, and, yeah. for, your, and for your listeners who don't know, LP mm -hmm. means a long playing. Mm -hmm. uh, it was an LP of just instrumental arrangements, no singing, but instrumental arrangements of songs from South Pacific and Oklahoma. Okay. Oh! South Pacific on one side, right. Oklahoma on the other side. Nice. And my, I had two older sisters, and my oldest older sister, who's deceased now, that's why I say in the past tense, yeah. she um, was apparently a good babysitter. She was seven years older than me, and she would entertain me and my other sister, or my other sister, and she would entertain me, <laughs> more what it was like. And one of the things, I don't know where they got the lyrics, but they would sing... Uh, They'd put that record on and sing, I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair. And then they'd flip it over and they'd sing, I can't say no. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the earliest mm -hmm. I remember hearing show tunes. Right. And uh, my father was not interested in music theater ever. So while my mother was at home laughing at us, clowning around, he was playing golf. Oh, but he did. He was interested in sex, like most young men are. Mm -hmm. And he had a, another LP called "For Men Only," oh. with a picture of Jane Mansfield on the cover. Oh, like probably with the boobs. <laughs> yes. Like, like, yes, of course. <laughs> and she's wearing a black cat suit, and she's on all fours, looking up at the camera. It's easy to find on Google now. Just type in Jane Mansfield for men only. You can find the cover, you can find the whole album now. It's like the cover of your album. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> but it's covers of uh, tunes that were popular at the time in the yeah. 50s, like Hey There, You with the Stars uh -huh. in Your Eyes. Well, I didn't know at the time that was a show tune. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but it was. Yeah, yeah. And Hernando's Hideaway <laughs> is on there. This is a sultry. This is a sultry <laughs> album. Could she even sing? It's not her singing. Oh, it's not her singing. No, it's just her picture on the cover. Just her picture on the cover. Her picture was on a lot of album so covers. So like a way to get men to listen to show tunes? <laughs> and they put her on magazine covers, you know, and she wouldn't right. even be inside, but she sold. Yeah, she, you know? was. she was the hot... Yeah. That's very That was smart. a marketing thing. <laughs> It's very smart. So you were listening to these and developing a love of the music, but you didn't know from where the music was coming in terms of, oh, that's a show tune. Didn't know it. Didn't know it at all. Well, I didn't know it for the for men only. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I knew it. It was explained to me that South Pacific and Oklahoma were something called Broadway musicals. Right. Well, he had this for men only record, 
And some of the covers are sung by groups of people, mm -hmm. but some of them are sung by women singing solo. Mm -hmm. And my sisters would lip sync to the solo recordings on this For Men Only album. Uh -huh. And my mother and I would sit there, and we were the audience, and we would watch them. And my mother called it pantomime. Uh -huh. She didn't call it lip syncing. Yeah. But that was my first exposure to lip syncing. Wow. Was seeing my sisters do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, fast forward maybe. And in 1962, there were three movies that came out that were based on Broadway musicals Bye Bye Birdie. Mm hmm. And, and with Anne Margaret mm -hmm. and The Music Man mm -hmm. and Gypsy. Oh. I was thinking about it today. Yeah. It just occurred to me this morning, so I haven't fully fleshed my theories out, but what, does, what did Bye Bye Birdie mean to me on a subconscious level when I was a kid? Maybe it was the anarchy of celebrity that was so attractive. Mm -hmm. Um, but that show, and most any Broadway show, had a lot to do with family, mm. you know, because yeah. Anne Margaret's family, yeah, Paul Lynn plays her father, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and our family, right? Yeah. Yes. And uh, the music man, there's a family in that. Right. And, but I'm still trying to figure out how it relates to me unless it was just the music part that right. music is an identity right. and being right. a musician is an identity mm -hmm. of course he's a con man also right <laughs> but he uses music yeah but when people get together and make music together then they become a family yeah. if you will true a tribe yeah, yeah. If it's, even if it's just a surrogate family right, right. Yes. so maybe that was one of the things that I glommed onto mm -hmm. subconsciously mm -hmm. about yeah. the music man. Now, Gypsy is a yeah. lot easier to figure out because right. it's yes. about family, obviously, and about a mother-child relationship, mm -hmm. which is very primal, and right. we can all relate to that. Indeed. Um, but I think on a subconscious level, even at age seven, I saw Gypsy as saying something about having a, a healthy sex life. Hmm. That it was therapeutic almost, that you can have fun with sex, mm -hmm. like Gypsy did. Yeah. 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 And being sexy, too. Yeah. And, and Natalie Wood was sexy. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> and yeah. vulnerable. Yes. And talented. And strong. This is, now I'm wavering a bit, but... Mm -hmm. That's one of my theories about why gay men are attracted to female stars is because someone like Natalie Wood, she's talented, she's vulnerable, she's sexy, mm -hmm. she's beautiful, mm -hmm. and that sets her apart from the rest of the world. She becomes the other. Mm -hmm. And Margaret is all of, also all of those things. Yes, she indeed. becomes the other. Barbara Streisand is the other because mm -hmm. she's so talented. Mm -hmm. Judy Garland oh, was the okay. other because she was so talented. Oh, that's fascinating. But we're getting, that's a different theory than. <laughs> no, I like that. This is great. I find that so compelling. Yeah. 
So those were the three that were very influential. Yes, and I should it. also tell you that, do you remember that moment at the end of Let Me Entertain You when Natalie Wood opens the curtains and she kicks her leg? Yes. I was so in love with that that I would do it at home and I was spanked for that one too, for behaving like a girl. Oh, oh. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh. Yes, that made my we parents so angry. You were just imitating, but they were like, no, not, not our son. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Were you allowed to imitate things that were masculine? Or quote unquote masculine? <laughs> well, they wanted Im- me to. They okay. wanted me to imitate a football player, right. for instance. Yeah. But I had, and now I, I'm sorry that I didn't have any athletic skills. I wish I had grown up more well-rounded, but I had no skills. No interest. Well, you played the piano. I played the piano. I liked riding the bicycle. I liked yeah. to swim. Yeah. But I didn't want to throw a ball. I was That's completely uninterested in it. Fine. That's fine. What You're not missing you anything. What did you want to be when, when you were like, you know, going to go to college? Did you, what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you know? I mean, were you like, I want to be an entertainer. I'm going to be a classical pianist. I'm going to... You mean when I went to college? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, well, what, I, was there a goal in sight? I wanted to be an actor, but I, I oh, dare did? not say it because it would have seemed so impractical to my parents. That, but but the, they saw for a fact that I could play the piano and thought that I could make a living that doing could, that, yeah. or I could become a teacher and teach other people how to play sure. the piano. Sure, of course, of course. Yeah, that's what they really wanted, was right. me to become a teacher. So that was 62, right? Yeah. And then the Judy Garland show was 63. Mm-hmm. And in 64, I don't know how I missed My Fair Lady and Mary Poppins, yeah. but I did. Somehow okay. I missed both those movies. Mm-hmm. But I did see that year the unsinkable Molly Brown. Oh, yeah. Ain't down yet. And like My Fair Lady and like Gypsy, it's about the ugly duckling who becomes a swan. And she leaves the small crappy town and goes to the big city and becomes someone else. Well, of course, that's very appealing. Yes. And... I think I, not even subconsciously at that point, was thinking, oh, yeah, that's what you got to do. You got to get out of here. And and just as a, this is a totally different conversation, but the Alfred Hitchcock movie Marnie was the same year as Mm -hmm. uh, Molly Mm -hmm. Brown and My Fair Lady. And they're all the Cinderella story. Mm -hmm. Of course, Hitchcock's movie is a very perverse (laughs) (laughs) version of the Cinderella story. (laughs) I saw it when I was nine. My father, you know, he liked Hitchcock. We we saw Psycho, (laughs) The Birds, and Marnie. (laughs) That's a nice family outing for everybody. I'm sure my parents were horrified by Marnie. I, I know my father didn't like it. I, I do remember that, but I was fascinated. Oh, wow. Do you have a favorite Hitchcock? So hard to pick a favorite. But if I had, if you put a gun to my head, yes. it would be that one. Marnie, oh, it's yeah. so good. Did you see the opera they just did? It's loved it. Yeah, I, I didn't see it, but I heard it was marvelous. Loved yeah. it. Oh. It was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Marnie and Unsinkable Molly Brown... And what was the other one you said the, in the same and year? My Fair Lady, My Fair Lady. all the same year, okay. 64, okay. right? And then? So, so earlier today I was thinking, well, let's see. Oh, then the next year, 
the most important one, how could I not remember? The Sound of Music. Of course. Because that's, once again, it's about family. And someone once said to me a theory that I think is a good theory, that a successful Broadway show has to be about one of two things, and sometimes it's about both, and we could go down the list until you get to company, and then things start to change. (laughs) But it's about about two things, one of two things, or both, how I found a family and or how the world changed. Mm. So Gypsy is about family, but it's Mm. also about how their world changed, how the movies ended vaudeville, right? Mm. South Pacific is about the war changing the world, and she finds a family and faces her racism. The King and I, she finds a family, the world changes, he dies, right? Right. The Sound of Music is about family and how the world changed. Wow. You can go down the list. I never thought of that before. That's a really great theory. P- uh, funny girl is she yep. finds a family. She, she also loses the family at the end, but she does have a daughter. Yeah. That's really interesting. Then earlier today, I was thinking, well, what comes after in my life in terms yeah. of yeah. movies right. was made, that were based on Broadway shows? What comes after Funny Girl and Oliver? Well, four years later was Cabaret. Mm-hmm. And by then, I was a lot more cynical. Oh, really? <laughs> because in 68, with Funny Girl and Oliver, I was yeah, 13. 13. Yeah. And then I was 17 in 72 when Cabaret came out. And, oh, that, that just, you know, I just knocked my socks off that movie, to use a cliche. Yeah. That, to be a, a kid from Hazelhurst, Mississippi, and go to Jackson and see Cabaret in 1972 at age 17, you no, know? That's amazing. Yeah. That was astonishing. Yeah. But a, between the time of Oliver and Funny Girl, and seeing the movie Cabaret, I started seeing touring shows that came through Jackson. Oh? Yeah. Broadway tours that were downgraded to one-night bus and truck tours. Yeah. And the first show, and I would go with my mother. My mother was very eager for adventure. She wanted to get out of Hazelhurst too, Mm -hmm. in her own way. She didn't want to move to New York, but she wanted to go to Jackson and see a show. And the first show we saw was Plaza Suite, which was not a musical, with yeah. Betty Garrett and Larry Parks. Oh my, oh my gosh. Who were married. Wow. But I didn't know who they were. I had no idea. I kind of knew the name Neil Simon. Mm-hmm. I didn't know the two of them had been through the McCarthy blacklist yeah. and yeah. all of that. So it's kind of sad looking back, mm-hmm. know, knowing that about them. Mm-hmm. And it couldn't have been easy to do a bus and truck of these one-night stands playing towns. Like, I think after Jackson, they went to Shreveport, Louisiana. So if they were traveling west, were they in Mobile or Birmingham the night before, playing in these one-night stands to audiences that may not have been that sophisticated, you know, or half-filled because they were subscription audiences, Mm -hmm. you know. But we also saw musicals. That's when I saw Company. Oh, in Mississippi? Yes. The Broadway tour, which had started out 
with Stritch, you know, yeah. doing four weeks in L.A. or yeah. whatever, mm-hmm. and had progressively downgraded to this one-night bus and truck tour with Julie Wilson oh. playing the Stritch part. Oh, my gosh. And, and, and instead of Larry Kurt, it was a man named Alan Case. Do you know that name? The name sounds familiar, but I can't associate him with anything right now. Well, his biggest moment on the Broadway stage was as Sir Harry and Once Upon a Mattress. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So the, I still have the souvenir program that you could purchase. You know, it wasn't just a playbill. It was a fairly large format thing. And uh, he has his one page with his picture, and Julie Wilson has her her one page with her picture, and he's picked out a picture of him around the time of Once Upon a Mattress, young, handsome. Mm -hmm. But then there are production shots of him in company also in there, and he doesn't look the same. So there's a melancholy about that for me when I look at it. We saw Promises, Promises. Oh. I don't remember who was in that. Okay. We saw Applause. Oh, yeah. With Patrice Munsell. Okay. Oh. And Pia Zadora. Uh, as Bonnie Franklin's role? As Bonnie Franklin's role. <laughs> and maybe she was the understudy to Eve. Oh, probably. Yeah. Probably. But this was long before she met the rich husband who just died the other yeah. day. Right, right, right. After you saw these shows, would you go out and buy the album, or did you have the album beforehand so you kind of knew what you were getting into? Right. Your parents did not like to be, they wanted to be surprised, like when Bonanza was on, were you the same way? Like, I want to be surprised going into these things. That's a good question. I'm not sure I remember the answer. Mm -hmm. I think it's possible that we walked into company not even knowing what we were going to see. That music was oh. different than any other show tunes of that time, yeah. really. I mean, it was different sound completely. But Carol Burnett did perform You Could Drive a Person Crazy oh. on her TV show with two opera singers, oh my God. Eileen Farrell and Marilyn Horn, the three of them. That's amazing. And I do remember seeing that. Did I see it before I saw the show or after? I can't remember. Yeah. Can't remember. Then I got to college, right? And they had put up, there was a notice on the bulletin board that said auditions for Once Upon a Mattress. Mm-hmm. And like I told you, I didn't get to be in the senior class show right. in high school, but here was my opportunity. And I was very frightened of auditioning. Very frightened, but I did it. And at the time, to my surprise, I was cast, but looking back, he would have cast anyone because he needed people to be in it. (laughs) And he cruelly cast me as Sir Studley. (laughs) I feel like I saw that coming. (laughs) I'm sure you were fabulous. And uh, I think there were only two performances. And, uh, you know, there's that moment in the show where the queen says to, it's actually not Sir Studley, it's Sir Harold and Lady Beatrice, where she says, I want you to demonstrate this banished panic. And so 
my partner and I demonstrated the Spanish panic and people laughed and I thought, what are they laughing at? I didn't know I was funny. Okay. <laughs> or funny looking. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I thought to myself, well, tomorrow night they're not going to laugh at me, they're going to laugh with me. And so I flipped it around. You did. And that's when I really thought I could do this. Oh, I can God. make people laugh. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I guess it was the summer after that year that I was cast in the course of a, a, a it, wasn't, it wasn't a school project at all. It was a Jackson Community Theater called Theater Center of Mississippi. Okay. There were three community theaters in Jackson at the time. This was called Theater Center of Mississippi, and they did Little Mary Sunshine, mm-hmm. which had never been done in Jackson at any of the other two, and so I was in the ensemble for that. I did that, and then the next year they did The Boyfriend, Mm -hmm. and I had seen the movie, Mm -hmm. so I was happy to do the stage musical without all of Ken Russell's layers and his cynicism, you know, (laughs) and just play it. And I, and, I, and I played the lead role. I played Tony Brockhurst. Oh, okay. And it was the same guy who had cast me as Sir Studley <laughs> and went to put a mattress. Right. Now so now he's lead. giving me the lead. Right. But the best local theater in Jackson was called New Stage Theater that was semi-professional. Mm-hmm. And they actually brought in Geraldine Fitzgerald oh. and, and Ingus Winson. My gosh. Uh, Geraldine Fitzgerald did Long Day's Journey and Tonight with local actors playing everybody else. And Angus Winson came and did a Cole Porter review, I think, and she did John Brown's Body. Oh, wow. That was was the place I was aspiring to, to work there. I saw them do The Medium, the Minotti Opera. Oh, I love that. That was a real eye-opener. Um... That was a real, yeah, that was incredible. Yeah. Uh, the first show that they did at that theater, I did not see because I was very young, but they did Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. That's what they opened. <laughs> they were their, bold. They were very bold. <laughs> yeah. company. In my senior year, I, like I said, I didn't get to do a show mm-hmm. at college, but I was cast in a show in a very small part at that theater. And it was a show called Boy Meets Girl. It was a 30s mm-hmm. screwball comedy. And I played the piano player. Mm-hmm. So I got to do that. Yeah. Okay. So I've taken you now through my college life. I love it. As it relates to my theatrical life. Sure, sure, sure. It's, I love this, the, the different layers and levels and the fact that you were so aware that when you were watching these things, they were fueling your motivation to eventually get out of. Sometimes subconsciously. Sometimes yes. subconsciously. Yeah. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. 
Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, podcast listeners. Are you looking for a place to rehearse in New York City that is clean, spacious, and most importantly, affordable? Come check out Shetler Studios and Theaters, our wonderful host for these podcasts. Shetler is centrally located on West 54th Street between Broadway and 8th Avenue, right in the heart of the theater district. Right in the heart. You'll find music, dance, and acting studios, complemented by two black box theaters and six presentation venues. The professional facilities, inspired environment, and expert industry staff combined to provide the New York artist with an unparalleled studio experience. Visit their website at shetlerstudios.com That's S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com Shetler Studios and Theaters is our home for recording the legends of Broadway and we hope that you make it your artistic home too. That's Shetler, S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com. See you here. So what made you then say I'm leaving Mississippi and I'm coming up to New York City. Ah, well, a lot of it had to do with my mother and uh, my mother and me, my mother and I, the two of us going to see (laughs) Broadway shows in Jackson. Because then in 75, I said to her, I'm going to go to New York. This was between my junior and senior year in college. Mm -hmm. And I said, I want to go to New York and see Broadway shows where they happen. Right. It's not enough to see them here in Jackson. I want to go to New York and see it. And so we went. And the first, you asked me earlier, the first Broadway musical I saw? Mm -hmm. Candide. Oh, the Hal Prince one. I hated it. Yeah. It was environmental. It wasn't what she and I were accustomed to. Not at all didn't know the Candide story Mm -hmm. and we both hated it (laughs) and my mother said well if they're all going to be like that I'm going to be miserable thankfully they were not now we only saw two other shows on Broadway for that trip but we did see Geraldine Page in a play called Absurd Person Singular I love that play Love that play. I wish I could say I remember it. I don't. I just remember her. She had big hair yeah. and was wearing a silver lame pantsuit and had a shiny purse. <laughs> and Carol Lindley was in it. That's really all I remember. And the British humor, you know, yeah. we didn't get it. We saw the Ritz, but oh. Rita Moreno had left. But if I remember correctly, I did see Treat Williams and F. Murray Abraham. And we, wow. I know we saw Jack Weston. He was still in it. Oh. And Mike Kellen had replaced oh. Jerry Stiller. Was Jerry yeah, Stiller? Jerry Stiller was in it. And Liz Torres had re- replaced Rita Moreno. Oh. We saw that. And my mother loved it. And I was so afraid that she was going to be offended. Yeah. You know? This is the woman who spanked me for right. behaving like Natalie Wood. Yes. But she loved it. Okay. So, you know, I could never figure her out. <laughs> <laughs> and we had tickets to see Gwen Verdon and Cheetah Rivera in Chicago. Chicago. And we got here. This was in June or August. August, I think. You can imagine 
how awful and hot it was here in New York in August in the summer of 75. And my mother picked up the New York Times and there was a notice that said that Gwen Verdon was out and Liza Minnelli had replaced her. And that is who we saw play Roxy Hart. She was only in it for like three weeks, yeah, I think. A couple I weeks. see one of the Liza performances. I cannot believe that you saw that. I saw it. And we left the theater and Andy Warhol was standing on the sidewalk. He was there that night too. And I said to my mother, there's Andy Warhol. And she said, who's Andy Warhol? No. <laughs> I'm impressed you knew who he was. Uh, but before we left Mississippi, I said to myself, well, we have all these tickets for Broadway shows, but we don't have any off-Broadway shows. We should go see an off-Broadway show too, right? So... I looked in the New York Times, I saw an ad that I liked. I, I liked the lettering of the title, I liked the ad. I liked the title itself. I sent, I don't know, checks or cash off. Uh-huh. And an envelope arrived back and it said, this show is no longer playing at the Public Theater on Lafayette Street. It is now playing at the Schubert Theater. And we saw a chorus line in previews and didn't have to pay any more than what we paid for the ticket at the public. That is incredible. And we had no idea what we were walking into. But as my mother said later, you could, even more than Liza Minnelli, you could feel the the excitement and the energy in the room before it started. And then as it was unfolding in front of us, you know. What a magical trip. It was... So by then, I really knew yeah. that it was time to get out. And then in the February of 76, I went on a school trip to London and Paris, mm-hmm. four days in each place. Mm-hmm. And in London, um, we went as a group to see... Uh, who's the man in Hello, Dolly? Who was the man in Phantom of the Opera? Michael, Michael Crawford. Crawford. Michael Crawford in a show called Billy. Billy. Oh, yeah. That was very much like a Broadway show. Yeah. yeah. Billy, based on John Billy Lyre. Based on a movie and a book mm-hmm. called mm-hmm. Billy Lyre. Mm-hmm. On my own, I went to see a little night music in the West End. Oh. With Virginia McKenna. Mm-hmm who had been in Born Free, the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't remember who else was in it. I think Hermione Gingold had done it yeah. in London, but I did not see her do it. I don't remember who else mm-hmm. was in it. And on my own also, I went to see Danny LaRue in oh. a West End show, not a nightclub show, but a oh. West End spectacle called The Exciting Adventures of Queen Daniela. <laughs> <laughs> And that was an eye-opener, too, because I was seeing drag shows yes. you know, at the gay bar in Mississippi. But now, seeing this guy on a big Broadway-sized stage, and the audience was little old ladies and their grandkids. Right, you know, right, right. Loved yes. him. <laughs> they loved him. Yep. They ate him up like, they eat, like the older people eat, used to eat up Dame Medna. They yes. just went crazy over him. Yeah. So that was also thinking, well, yeah, yeah. you got to get to New York. You know, that's where you got to get somewhere other than Mississippi. Oh, yes. Yeah. 
What year did you finally get to New York? 78. So, oh, okay. So I graduated from college in 76. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I, there wasn't a, an aborted attempt to move to New York in 77. I was here for about six weeks. Mm-hmm. But I realized that I needed more funds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I went back to Mississippi for a year mm-hmm. and got a job playing the piano for the ballet there mm-hmm. and saved up my pennies Good for you. and then moved in 78. And the other day I saw Jane Goodall on CNN mm-hmm. talking about her start as whatever she calls herself, an, an explorer or an animal adventurer. And she said that she was 23, but she said it was like, when I was 23, it was like being a 17-year-old now. Mm. Yeah. And that's what it was like for me when I came, as I look back, when I was 23 in 1978, it, it was akin to what a 17-year-old would be like right. today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was very naive, very sure. innocent. <laughs> and a scared, but at the same time fearless, and you know, because you've got to be fearless yes. to move to New York. Yes. You've got to be fearless. Where, where did you end up in the city? Well, the first place I yeah. ended up was, well, this is theatrical too, because... Uh, it was a place, the building is still there. It was, called, it was a transient hotel called the Coliseum House. It's on 71st Street between that intersection of Amsterdam and Broadway yeah. and 71st yeah. and West End, which okay. is a very nice block. It, it's yes. mm-hmm. tree-lined. It has, yes. It's on a hill. And uh, within the first few days of getting here, um, a friend from Mississippi came with me and we saw Ain't Misbehavin' yes. and On the 20th Century yes. with Judy Kay. And we went to see Divine in a show on the west side at a club called Hurrah. And the show is called The Neon Woman, written by Tom Ian, who later wrote Dream Girls. Yeah. But before The Neon Woman, he had written a play called women behind bars Mm -hmm. and divine had done that somewhere so now he was doing a bigger thing called the neon woman by tom ian and we saw that and brenda bergman was in it and helen hanft was in it do you know this name helen hanft yeah helen hanft was one of the tom ian's muses she had done a play he wrote called why hannah's skirt won't stay down and helen hanft was in a bunch of movies. She's in Arthur. She pops up in Arthur. She pops up in The Purple Rose of Cairo, the Woody Allen movie. She's in a movie called Next Stop Greenwich Village, the Paul Mazursky movie. She's Lou Jacoby's wife. They run the little health food stand where where the lead guy works. Yes. Yeah, now I can picture her. Now I can picture her. So she was in this with Divine. With Divine. Okay. Yes. At a place called Hurrah? A place called Hurrah, a nightclub in the West 60s near Lincoln Center. Believe it or not, there was a nightclub, a wild nightclub near Lincoln Center in 78. Can you imagine? (laughs) And when the show finished, because we sat on the floor to watch the show, and the show finished, and the disco music came on because it was 1978. And we all stood up and danced. It was the year, 78 was the year of Studio 54. So it turned, instantly turned into a disco. Oh my God. Wait, so we have like 20 minutes left, and we have to get to Lipsinka. 
Okay. We have to. All right. So, introduce me. <laughs> introduce you. Well, now I'm in her. New York, right? Right. And, you know, when I was in Mississippi, I was, like I said, I was going to see drag shows. Yeah. At first, it was really scary to me to see a drag show in a gay bar. Oh. But then I started noticing magazines and in the library at college every week they'd get mm. Time and Newsweek and I'd go and flip through them to find out what was going on in the world yeah. and I would read about this man named Charles Ludlum mm. doing Camille and I thought well he's in Time magazine mm -hmm. he's, well, but he's in New York that's the thing, you've got to get to New York. New York Doing New a drag York. show at the gay bar here is not going to do right. anything for you. It's just going to stigmatize you. You've got to get to New York. And you can do drag in New York, and you'll end up in Time magazine. Mm -hmm. So here, here I arrive, and I'm thinking, well, I think I want to do something with drag performance, but what is it, you know? Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I discovered this place called Club 57, right. run by, well, partly run by Anne Magnuson, mm -hmm. who's become a formidable person in her own right. right. She was kind of the manager of the place, mm -hmm. and Keith Haring did his first yeah. exhibit there, mm -hmm. and Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman did right. their first shows there. And I did my first lip syncing there in the summer of 1980, but I didn't, hadn't thought up the name lip syncer yet. Okay. I was still trying to think, what could I do? What could I do that would be different Sets than everybody apart. else, yeah. that would set me apart? And I'm so sorry, just for a little context, what were some of the other people doing at that time? What were some of the other drag artists doing at that time? Well, for instance, Craig Russell was doing it's a traditional celebrity impersonation, mm -hmm. you know, he, he was very funny mm -hmm. he, he, and, and naughty mm -hmm. and risque mm -hmm. and he could really sing, unlike Charles Pierce who couldn't who, really who couldn't re he wasn't really a singer, you yeah. know uh, Craig Russell could sound like Judy Garland, he yeah. could sound like anybody and I saw that movie Outrageous in which he impersonates mm -hmm. Ella Fitzgerald. Great film, and by the way. Yeah. Great film. All yeah. your listeners should see it. You yeah. can watch it for free on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. And he was impersonating uh, Carol Channing and Peggy Lee and Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. He could do anybody and yeah. he could look like some of them. And Tallulah. Yeah. And I loved that. And I loved Charles Pierce. And I loved Lynn Carter. And they were all doing this kind of celebrity impersonation thing. But I didn't want to do that. Because right. I wanted to do something different. And I didn't want to do what Charles Ludlam was doing, which was brainier than all the others. Mm -hmm. But he was getting a serious attention mm -hmm. in a way that Charles Pierce and uh, Craig Russell weren't getting that kind of serious attention. And uh, I did this lip syncing thing, like I told you, at Club 57 for just one night. Mm -hmm. And then I got my job at American Ballet Theater as a rehearsal pianist. Right. And that was now I had a steady, steady paycheck, yeah. and mm -hmm. that was great. And they went on tour mm -hmm. for 14 weeks. Mm -hmm. They rehearsed for 14 weeks, and then they went on tour. They don't rehearse nearly as much now, but. 
and they don't tour that much either. But this was the year, 1980, that Baryshnikov was the new artistic director, so they had a lot of money, and he wanted to whip that company into shape. So they rehearsed for 14 weeks, and then they went on tour for 14 weeks, and I went to California for the first time, went to Minneapolis for the first time, went to Chicago for the first time. Anyway, where the world was opening up to me, went to San Francisco, went to LA, and then in the summer when we were off, I went to Europe with a group of the dancers to work in Italy and mm. France mm. and Monte Carlo. Mm. And, when, and that was a fantastic trip. And when it was all over with, I had been to that Paris trip earlier. Yes. I told mm-hmm. you. Right. So now I'm going to Paris on my own. Right. And I had heard about this club called Michou, which is still there, M-I-C-H-O-U. And at Michou, which is kind of like La Cage Full. You go and you order your meal, you tell the waiter what you want, and your food arrives, and 30 minutes later, the waiter is on stage in drag as Liza Minnelli, or Josephine Baker, or Zizi Jean-Mer, or Edith Piaf, yes, please. or Chantal Goya, yeah. or, and, or people I had never heard of, like Dalida. Mm-hmm. And the audience is laughing because they're French and they know who all these uh-huh. people are. And they're lip-syncing. Yeah. So now, seeing lip-syncing in that context, mm-hmm. and, and what is it? now I see Michou as kind of a tourist trap, but to me at that time, it was seemed terribly sophisticated. Sure, you know, yeah. Summer of 1981. And they're doing lip-syncing, and there's nothing wrong with it, and they're better than what I had seen in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, maybe, maybe that's the thing that I could do that would set me apart from Craig Russell and Charles Pierce right. and Charles Ludlam, but it's still rooted in a gay tradition. Mm-hmm. Right. But I have to be really good at it. I thought I could be since I was a trained musician. Yes. And I thought, well, the name of my character has to tell the audience what they're going to see, give them an indication of that. Mm-hmm. And I want it to seem sophisticated and chic and have a sense of humor. Yeah. And I was fascinated by fashion models and fashion photography at the time mm-hmm. and models with names like Verushka and Dovima yeah. and Wilhelmina yeah. and Apollonia. Yeah. So I thought, well, if the char- my characters sounded like a one-name fashion model, that's how I came up with it. Wow. And that's why it's the bane of my existence, but I, I inverted the Y and the I, you know, or I put a Y in there. Right. The L-Y-P-S-I-N-K-A. And that's how it began. Uh, those thought processes before I actually ever thought, well, what will I actually perform to, <laughs> right, you know, right, and right. how will I do it? Right. So that was 82, yeah. and I guess it was around that time that I saw Dolores Gray for the first mm. time yeah. in a movie. She made four movies at MGM, and the first one was called It's Always Fair Weather with Sid Charisse mm. and Gene Kelly, and it was at the Regency Theater, mm-hmm. which was just north of Lincoln Center on Broadway, which was a revival house, and it was built, I guess, in the 40s mm-hmm. as a neighborhood theater. Mm-hmm. And then around the time of that's entertainment becoming popular, it became a revival house. Wow. 
And so when I moved to New York in 78, it was thriving. And it was every two or three days, there was a different double bill. Oh, so it was oh, like my fun. temple. I was oh, there. Yeah. And you had to go out to see a movie because yes. home videotape hardly existed. Yeah. Cable hardly existed. No. If you wanted to see an old movie or any movie, you had to go out and see it. Yeah. So I was there all the time. And of course. I, and I went because... I knew the names Gene Kelly, Sid Charisse, Arthur Frieden, Stanley Donen. I didn't know I was going to see this incredible woman yeah. with these huge gestures and this beautiful big voice mm -hmm. and this gorgeous hair and a unique face. And, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I thought, okay, these people who impersonate Barbara Streisand, whether they're live or lip-syncing, or they impersonate Cher, or they impersonate Liza. I'm going to impersonate this woman nobody ever heard of. It's Brilliant. It's smart. <laughs> so smart. So smart. But I was also aware of Kay Thompson, and I wanted to bring oh, some of sure. her into nice. it also. Yeah. I had seen Funny Face. I was fascinated by Eloise. Uh -huh. Years later, I find out that Kay Thompson and... Dolores Gray lived only a block from one another. Did you know that? No. Dolores lived at 57th Street and 3rd Avenue. Okay. Uh -huh. 200 East 57th Street. Mm -hmm. And Kay lived at 57th Street and 2nd Avenue, 300 East 57th Street. And I used to joke, I'm going to move to 249. <laughs> <laughs> With with Jim, like with Jimmy job. Stewart's binoculars, <laughs> and I'll be like this all the time. Research constantly. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, you know what I wanted to ask you about um, your sound editing back then, because today somebody would just grab all these on the computer. lines and put them on a computer and be done in five minutes. How did you do all of that? Well, I, I first did it on my own. You know, I didn't have any software to no, play with. I, know, I like that. But like your phone call sequences are so precise. And now, you know, you upload it on a computer and it's done in like two minutes. What were you doing? How were you doing this? How were you even getting the audio of these things? Well, those are two different questions. But the audio... You answer whichever one you want. Well, the phone started with... Uh, um, in the 80s, when at Tower Records, this record popped up in the bins there one day called Va Va Voom, again with Jane Mansfield on the cover. And it was all these 50s dames who had made records like Jane and Mamie Van Doren and Rhonda Fleming and Sophia Loren. The vinyl was pink. I still have the record. Oh my God, yes. And the first thing on there, you hear a phone ringing, and then you hear the sound of the phone being picked up. And then you hear, hello, yes, this is Jane, baby. You want what? A girl like me? What do I want? I want a man who moves. I want a man who grooves with long black hair. He can't be no square. And it's from this movie that we had shown at Club 57 called Las Vegas Hillbillies. <laughs> the Academy Award winner, Las Vegas. <laughs> Wow. And so I thought, oh, yeah, I could use that in my gold. show yeah. at the Pyramid. And then I started to realize, oh, I don't have to do the whole thing. Yeah. I could just use, a hello. And then I could just use the phone ringing and the pickup sound and put somebody else there. Yeah. And I was doing it at my home, pushing the pause button, trying not to make mistakes. Yeah. And just hope that after I had done it maybe 10 times that I had done it well enough so that the editing, that you'd only hear what you, I wanted you to hear. Right. 
And sometimes it wasn't perfect, but at the pyramid, they didn't care. You know, at the pyramid, suddenly on a, at a Sunday night, there was a built-in audience. It didn't matter what yeah. anybody did. The audience was going to go insane. But for someone who's a perfectionist like me to get up there and do something that really was thought out, you know, they really went, oh, my God, this guy's doing something. We've well, never seen anything never. like this yeah. before. Exactly what you wanted. And yeah. then I thought, well, this isn't good enough. I have to hire someone to cut tape. Mm-hmm. And so this friend of mine, an acquaintance really, from Club 57, he had a, like a little home studio in a spare bedroom, and he's, he'd record it onto reel-to-reel, and yep. he'd splice it, and I'd sit there with him, and we would listen to it on the headphones until we got it the way we wanted it. Incredible. And then he died. He had AIDS. He died, as so many people did, in this yeah. tale of woe. And... Um, so I went to another place to cut tape, and the guy one day said, you know, we could do this on a computer. And I thought, what's that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we did it. It was very slow. Yeah. It was better. Mm-hmm. You could zoom in to the image on the software and get yeah. the edit just where you wanted. And even better, the Joan Crawford and me, you could zoom in and take that record pop mm. out, right. you know. Because this is vinyl we're talking about, mostly. And the computer would crash, and you know what that used to be like, and that was so frustrating, and the clock was ticking, and I didn't know if they were charging me while the computer was crashed, and I was afraid to ask. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But then the final product, it was so much better than what I had been doing. And then, and the program, I don't know what that program was called, but then there was something called Pro Tools yes. that was invented. No. Yes. That makes the sound so plastic and you can do anything with yeah. it. You can bend it and shape it any oh, way yeah. you want. Yeah. And all these different tracks, you yeah. know, that you literally see on the screen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I loved watching him put all that together. Mm-hmm. So he does it. I sit with him and tell him I want it, mm-hmm. and uh, he doesn't mind. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I ask him, "What do you think? Is mm-hmm. this good timing or not?" Mm-hmm. Sometimes I take his opinion. Sometimes I don't. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a good partnership. But also, with all those tracks and all those layers, then I realized that the work can be more thematically layered. It can be about so many other things. Yes. 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 And I became then more conscious that I could put a theme into a show. Mm. That's incredible. Was there a point where Lipsinka, you know, you talked about how some of the people you really liked were in a magazine or something. Was there a point where you you kind of received that sort of New York fame that you thought, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm here. Oh yeah. 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 Do you want to be precise? Yes, I do. (laughs) Well, um, we were going to talk about Charles Bush. Charles Bush had a lot to do with my first off-Broadway show happening. Yeah. Because he came to see it way, way, way off-Broadway. He came to see a 35-minute show called The Many Moods of Lipsinka, and Mm -hmm. and he told his roommate... Ken Elliott, who was the director of Vampire Lesbians of Sodom, Mm -hmm. and I think Ken was the general manager of Vampire Lesbians. Mm -hmm. You need to go see this guy. So Ken came. 
And he said, we want to do this as a late night show after Vampire Lesbians of Sodom. Uh, so maybe that's where yes. you were getting confused. That could be it. And this was that's well nice. after I had auditioned to replace gotcha. Charles. And he said, we want you to do this as a tandem show. We'll give you four shows a week. You'll do Friday, Thursday, late night, Friday, late night, Saturday, late night, and then Sunday. We don't have a show, so you can do it at a decent hour. Yeah. And he said, but you need to add 25 minutes to it. It needs to be 60 minutes long to justify the um, ticket price. Right. And Justin Ross, who had been in Pippin mm -hmm. and uh, A Chorus Line, mm -hmm. not the original cast, mm -hmm. I think he was replacement cast yeah. for A Chorus Line and Pippin too, I sure. think. And he was in the movie A Chorus Line. Justin was the director of that show. Mm -hmm. And so we were happy to add 25 minutes to it, and we changed the title. The title was changed to I Could Go On Lip Syncing, mm -hmm. which was a title I had used before for a nightclub show I had done, but he thought that, Justin thought that was the best title, and he was right. And so we called it I Could Go On Lip Syncing, and it played there for six weeks, and then the Theater Off Park, which is now called Rattlestick Theater, yeah. mm -hmm. picked it up and moved it to their theater, and it ran there for 10 months. And that's when the publicity that's when it started was, yeah. coming in. That's... And William Norwich, uh -huh. do you remember? He had a column, Billy Norwich, he had a column in The Post. The Post, right. okay. yeah. yeah. And he was bringing his uptown friends downtown oh, to see the yeah. show, and he took me out one night, and he said, John, you're a star. And oh. I said, I'm not. And he said, I say you are. Amazing. And so did. I thought, okay. Yeah. All right. Why not? <laughs> you are. And you are. Um, what is it like to, you've, you've done this now for th at least 30 years, uh, a little over 30 years, obviously. What's it like to be an icon? <laughs> What's it like to be stopped by a whole new generation? I saw you. I mean, I, I was at DragCon. I saw the line. I saw people. I was at a panel where you spoke. I mean, it was. It, it, you are. I mean, you are. You laugh. <laughs> is it, is it you surreal? Laugh, but it's true. Or, or do you think to yourself that's very nice? I'm well, DragCon is surreal. If that's surreal. It's <laughs> the craziest thing. <laughs> but uh, apparently, I did. Yeah. You know, I yes. guess I, I invented this thing. Yeah. Most and some people acknowledge it, and some people don't. Or they don't want to acknowledge it for whatever reason. Right. I don't know. It's just, I, don't, I think it's cool that this young man from Mississippi has influenced so many individuals and the influence continues to grow and grow and grow, especially with so many clips now appearing on YouTube. You speak to a whole new generation. You're never going to go away. <laughs> that's a good thing. I Much like Dolly, true. you're never going to go away. <laughs> it is true. I mean, there's, I'm a little envious, I admit, of them because they have television as a platform. Oh, sure. And they, right. go, they get to go out and do Those, their stuff, and right. I don't right. because their audience knows who they are because yeah. of television, because of, and yeah. I never had that. And yet, <laughs> one could argue that if you hadn't done what you were doing, yes. would they all be here today? And I don't want to be too hyperbolic about it, but I would argue that you have indelible influence on, on where the art form has come. I would, well, I would like to argue that. Sasha's a pretty smart guy. He might have invented it himself if I hadn't. Yeah. Well, it's hard to so say modest. who influences whom, but I think... Herself. Some... I, I said himself. It's herself. Yeah, yeah, herself. Yeah, it's herself. Okay. We know. 
Yeah. Um, will we be seeing Lipsinka in a new show anytime in the future? Will this character make any more appearances? Well, I hope so. I don't Us have too. anything definite on the, on the horizon. I've had plenty of disappointment lately. Oh. That I... I won't say too much about that, but I will tell you uh, that I really enjoyed, <laughs> after all those years, after being a Sir Studley yeah. and Once Upon a Mattress doing Once Upon a Mattress and playing the Queen yes. with Jackie, playing yeah. Winifred, was a blast. Good. And uh, I wish I had been better, but um, it was a blast. And I didn't lip sync, of course. Yeah. Just like in Cinderella, I did not lip sync, but right. they used the name Lip Sync to help market the show, Great. which I was happy about. Yes. Uh, but it was very disappointing that uh, Once Upon a Mattress, that nothing could come of that sure. production, and if Mary Rogers had lived, you know, yeah. it might have been a different story. Yes. There was even an offer to make a recording, and just didn't. that didn't happen, and it was too bad because the arrangements were brand new. Yeah, it was a lovely production. It was a really lovely production. And I thought the orchestra sounded really good. Yes, yeah, it was a good show. I think Matt, Castle did, and his partner yes. did a very good job arranging it. Yeah, yeah. and Arrange they made the conscious choice to not have a piano. They thought had to have a grounded instrument would bring the show down. So right. they, yeah. all the instruments were ungrounded, it's which wonderful. was yeah kind of wonderful. Yeah, very is. smart it's idea. Very, but very also, smart. I'll tell you, and this is my complaint about Actors Equity, that Jackie and I and the rest everybody working our tails off for eight shows a week mm -hmm. and being paid so badly because Actors Equity lets those nonprofits get away with it. Yeah. And the musicians have a better union oh. and they're being paid better than the actors are. Yes, that, are. That is just so unfair. Yeah. You're right. And I don't know why the actors don't put a stop to it. And I can only assume equity gets away with it because young people are arriving every day and they'll work for free. Absolutely. Yep. That's right. But I'm not a member of Actors Equity, okay. but I've had to work on shows such as that one as if I were a right. member yeah. of Actors Equity. Yeah. Because yeah. they do allow nonprofits like the Transport Group or the New Group to have some non-equity right. yeah. people in the show, but you still have to go along with the equity guidelines. Exactly. And exactly. so that's how I know what Actors' Equity is getting away with. It's crazy. It's really infuriating. And it must make some, some of the established older actors angry, too. Right. Well, I can't I can be the only one. No, because no. you have to have like two jobs, basically, in order yeah, to do it. Yeah, you do. You know? But we want to see more of you, and we, we, uh, we're just going to put that out there. Yeah. We and definitely want more. We're so honored that you came by and spent so much time with us today. This has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much. Hopefully Thank you for wanting to have me. Yeah. Anytime. You're welcome so back anytime. Really special. Thank I'm you. I'm going to go home and watch Stardust Memories again now. <laughs> Get myself reacquainted. Uh, Till next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you.
Today's episode was recorded at Shetler Studios on 244 West 54th Street. Visit Shetler Studios to book your room today, and you could be as cool as us. That's S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com. And a big thanks to our sound editor, Daniel Schwartzberg, and social media manager, Bethany Ann Selecki. And friends, don't forget, we want more folks to hear these incredible stories, and that's where you guys can come in and help us out. Yes, in order for people to find out about us, we need lots of ratings on iTunes. The more ratings, the more they'll come up in searches. So head on over to iTunes, search for Behind the Curtain Broadway's Living Legends, click on our logo, click on ratings and reviews, then write a review and leave us five stars and make us feel as special as Eliza Doolittle on Eliza Doolittle Day. Or you can leave us one star and make us feel as bad as Annie did in that weird production in Boston where Annie dreamed about being adopted and then ended the show back in the orphanage. True story, Rob was there. I saw it. So head on over to iTunes and make us feel even more special than we already do. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.